Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. This podcast is brought to you by Native Grape Odyssey. Native Grape Odyssey is an educational project financed by the European Union to promote European wine in Canada, Japan, and Russia. Enjoy. It's from Europe. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast with me, Monty Ward, and my guest today is Tommaso Chiali. Tommaso's family estate is called Cleto Chiali, and you produce Lambrusco. Yes, we do. So I'm part of the family, as Monty said. Our family is the oldest uh, Lambrusco producer in Emilia-Romagna and uh, especially the oldest winery in Emilia-Romagna. So when was it founded? The company was founded in 1860 by the founder Cleto Chiarli. That, that was his name. I'm now into the fifth generation in the family business. The history of our company is very linked to the history of the region. We were one of the first businesses in the region. So what did Cleto have, your great 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 grandfather what, what did he do so Cleto sort of followed the typical Italian entrepreneurial history he owned uh, and ran a restaurant under the name of uh, Osteria dell'Artigliere in the center of Modena one what of is Artigliere what is an Artigliere Artigliere means uh, pretty much uh, handling uh, weapons oh so an artillery so artillery yeah so it's so the um, artillery man's um, Osteria exactly so he was an artillery man not really oh okay that was the name of the Osteria yeah, I believe he, he acquired the Osteria from someone else. Okay. So he was a cle- already we can see some clever marketing. Exactly. In, uh, exactly. One of your family traits. Okay. Very aggressive marketing. He, at the time, he used to produce his own wine for the Osteria, for his guests. And uh, we all believed that his wine was much better than his food. So he decided to close the Osteria and uh, open uh, 100% uh, sort of winery activity. So you are which generation? I'm the fifth generation. So is your, and your parents are they still around my parents are, are still around my dad and uncle uh, own the business uh, my dad is looks after the commercial side of it while my uh, uncle is handling our vineyards and our uh, agricultural estates so you what just your first name of your dad anselmo anselmo is my father his brother and your uncle is mauro chiarli okay so let's talk lambrusco so lambrusco um, can be various colors pink white or red which you go for so yes so this is a good point Uh, Lambrusco is perceived uh, by many as a single type of wine but Lambrusco is not a wine only it is a family of many different varietals this varietal grow in a very narrow area that goes from Modena on the southern side up to Mantova on the northern side of Emilia there are about uh, let's say 10 different Lambrusco grape varietals we work as a Chiarli family with three varietals in the area of Modena, the Salamino, which grows on the northern side of the region, the Sorbara, again in the northern side of the region, very close to the Salamino, and the Grasbarossa on the southern side of Modena. So these names, the names of these varieties of Sal Lambrusco, uh, no coincidence. Why Salamino? So Salamino has got its name uh, from uh, the, 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 the shape of the grape bunch, which looks like a salami, which is also a very typical item in, in the area. So salamis and prosciuttos, is, uh, the culture of cured meats in our area is very big. So I believe uh, um, our ancestor called this grape varietal salami because of its shape. So, so very... that's the salami-shaped grape exactly. variety of, uh, of uh, Lambrusco. 
Grasparossa. What does that mean? Grasparossa is a very particular varietal. It's a dark berry like a salamino, but differently to salamino, it's the leaves of the vineyards become extremely red during after harvest time, and that's why Graspa, which is the stems and the leaves, and Rossa is the color red. That's why the name of this grape varietal. While the Sorbara, the third varietal in the northern side of Modena, gets its name from uh, a small village in the area, which is called Sorbara. What is the particularity of the Sorbara? Is Sorbara, it a very deeply colored red one like, say, Salamino? No, Sorbara is perhaps the most different uh, Lambrusco grape varietal in the area. The Sorbara has a very thin skin compared to other Lambrusco grape varietals, so the color of this wine is very bright but light red. It has a nut, it lacks sugars naturally. What I mean by that, normally Lambrusco grape varietals have a natural high sugar content and high acidity. This grape varietal is the only one that does not have a high sugar content naturally. Therefore, you cannot find this Lambrusco in a semi-sweet or sweet form, only in a dry style. So it's like a dry, well, it's a dry rosé, it's like a dry fizzy rosé, isn't yes, it? Yes, sometimes people uh, sort of look at this wine as a rosé, but uh, I want to stress how that this is a red wine very particular red but it's fully macerated and therefore it is a red Lambrusco and for me it's one of the most underrated wines in Italy it is it is also the Lambrusco that is helping the Lambrusco area and uh, most producers uh, gain a good reputation in in the world of wine perhaps uh, because people are consumers are drinking drier than before and this is the Lambrusco grape varietal that as I said fits this criteria it has a, a, again a great acidity it matches perfectly with very salty, savory food. Very different cuisines worldwide, such as the spices from uh, uh, the eastern part of the world. Uh, so in my opinion, it is the Lambrusco of the future. But again, I, I urge every consumer and every person working in the trade to try all the different Lambrusco grape varietals. And what I think is very important for uh, Lambrusco is the fact that uh, each one of us can find its own favorite varietal. And this is very important from so, a producer perspective. So you're saying that because you know, Lambrusco, we, we kind of think, oh, it's just one type of wine that you can put in one little box. But what you're saying is, apart from the fact we have Sulbaro, which is a very light... Modern type of yeah, Lambrusco. But you have the, the, the red Lambrusco as well, but they're all incredibly different. Exactly. Depending so, on which varietal that they're exactly. made from. So throughout a full meal with different sort of food pairing contexts, you can find the right Lambrusco. Okay, so if we say... Well, I come to your estate. I've actually had dinner at your estate with your dad, and he's one of the funniest people I've ever seen. He really is hilarious. Okay, I can see you got the same. Not with me, but no, no, uh, you got the same kind of smile. I think you, you, I can see that you're cut from the same cloth. So if we have, uh, I come to your dinner. I come this time. You're gonna. I'm having dinner with you, and you want to show me your whole range of wines, and you're going to choose the food pairings. Yeah. So let's just go through. What What are you going to give me for dinner, and why? So if we would like to stick to the area, which I think is the, the most important way to go, uh, it's to start with a platter of uh, cured meat, moving from uh, prosciutto di Parma to mortadella from Bologna and salami. With this kind of salty, cold cuts, uh, the sorbara is, for me, personally, the ideal uh, wine to pair. The acidity helps washing away the, the savory of, of the cured meats, the salt that these cured meats have. Uh, 
we can move then to a sort of a filled uh, egg pasta, such as ravioli and tortellini. Here you can move to a dry style Grasparossa, which has uh, a higher content of tannins and therefore can really sustain uh, the, the, the heavier and tastier characteristics of uh, a filled pasta of the area. For a second course, uh, we do not have uh, just the main in Italy, as you know. Uh, we have uh, a starter, a first course, a second course. For the second course, uh, we would move to a softer dark style Lambrusco, maybe a Salamino or a blend between Salamino and Grasparossa. What I mean by softer is with the higher residual sugar, around 18-20 grams, and this would be ideal with uh, the boiled uh, meats of the area, uh, coming both from pork and uh, beef. And for a dessert, we have uh, the sweet Lambrusco, which is not seen uh, worldwide as a great wine, but when done in the right way with only natural sugar, it is a great wine either to pair with, uh, uh, for example, uh, hard savory cheese such as Parmesan and uh, sort of pecorino from another region, or also with uh, dessert, sort of a cherry tart, this kind of uh, very savory and, and uh, sweet um, dessert. Super. So you have various estates as well. Do you make yeah. any, I mean, in terms of your land holdings, when we talk about Lambrusco, we kind of think it's an industrial wine. It's just miles and miles and miles of grapes, uh, a vineyard with, with heavily laden with grapes. It all gets chucked into big tanks and munched up and spat out as, as Lambrusco. But you have different estates with different terroirs and you, your family feels that very strongly that the terroir is very much linked to the type of Lambrusco variety that you're planting and, and growing in that area. Is that correct? Yes. So, so let's just go through some of your, your single vineyards, if you like. Okay. In 2001, we uh, built a brand new winery under the name of our founder, Cleto Chiarli. So our, our family business uh, started, as I said, in 1860. We had uh, an historic cellar up to 2002. Then we constructed a new winery for the production of high-quality Lambrusco. In this winery, uh, we believe that in order to have this quality in our Lambruscos, uh, we have to pick and grow the right varietals in the right areas. Therefore, uh, we've been owning um, over 100 actors of uh, vineyards in the best DOC areas of Lambrusco and we have three main estates for the three grape varietals. The Sozigalli in the north of Modena, we have around 30 hectares. This is uh, a land between two rivers, very rich in sand and silt. And the names of the rivers are, one of them is the Secchia, right? Secchia and Panaro, these are the two rivers. So this is sandy, well-drained, flat? Well-drained, yes, barely the need to water the vineyards in summertime, despite the heat and the lack of rain in the area. Uh, while on the southern part of Modena, close to the Cletocchiali winery, we have uh, the Tenuta Cialdini, which is a single vineyard of Grasparossa. Here we have much more of a rocky soil, quite a bit of clay, and uh, this is where we grow the Grasparossa, the single vineyard Grasparossa, which uh, we produce then for a Okay, so when you talk about clay, and we're thinking normally clay soils, you can have quite aggressive or hard tannins. Is that the case with your Lambrusco there or not? It is the case. So the Grasparossa is the most tanninic type of Lambrusco varietal and therefore it, it is grows in this area in the southern part of Modena where as I said there is uh, a lot of gravels and clay. So the, do you pick that up in the wine though? I mean it, when we th- again this preconception you know Lambrusco is oh, it's always so, soft and blancmange like like you know candy floss. So what, what we like to say is that all Lambrusco varietals have that surname Lambrusco for a reason. So they have common characteristics mm-hmm. so light bodied, a high acidity, a good natural sugar content 
and uh, this is present also in the Grasparossa. The Grasparossa in addition to this has the tannins so in my opinion this is a very extremely well-balanced wine. It starts off extremely fruity and then you got the dryness from the tannins at the end so it is a very very food-friendly wine uh, easy to pair with spicy food easy to pair with very salty types of, of food and uh, the balance between the tannins and the residual sugar is great in this grape varietal. You have another one called Tenuta Belvedere. Tenuta Belvedere. <laughs> it is the area where we grow some Grasparossa vineyards. This is uh, an area very close to the Cialdini, to the Grasparossa state. And uh, we have, we grow also the only native white berry in the area, which is the Pignoletto. I haven't talked about the Pignoletto because the Pignoletto, it is not part of the Lambrusco family, but it is a very local white grape. And it's one to look out for, for fashionistas, because it's it is. Uh, starting to get a little bit of movement behind it, Pignoletto. It's a very is, nice little there name is, There well. are some markets such as the UK, which are embracing this wine uh, quite well. Uh, it is one of the most growing uh, wines in the uh, Italian retail market, uh, which is a good sign for the area. So what are typical flavors of Pignoletto white so, wine? Pignoletto is extremely floral. It has, uh, in order to appreciate a good Pignoletto, it has quite a high residual sugar, so we're going towards an extra dry type of Pignoletto. But again, it has again this acidity, which is common in the area given by the soil, which is very important for this wine, very balanced. And in my opinion, it is uh, what makes it unique is the, the floral notes that you find in this wine. So it's extremely rich. The taste sticks on the palate for long. So what sort of food would we be looking for there as a, as a, as a good match? So Pignoletto, traditionally, uh, it is consumed, again, I don't want to be boring, with the, the charcuterie, so the cured meats. Uh, we do not have a culture of seafood in the area, although it would be very interesting to have it with the fried frito misto, so fried squid, fried prawns, this kind of rich and, and salty uh, seafood type. So I think this is a, a good pairing. And of course, uh, there is a, a percentage of consumers in the locally that do not does not like Lambrusco, and that's what they drink. So yeah, we sh- you should launch a competition, the Cleto Cali Pignoletto food matching competition. You know, the sommeliers who comes up with the best food matches, something like that. Yeah, I'm afraid they like the food more than the wine, though. Well, you like food more. <laughs> okay, that they has like. To... They like. Oh yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll cut all that out. Okay. So that's your. So that was Tenuta Belvedere, Bellevue. Uh, that's that's your vineyards done then I yeah. guess yeah so how do you see the future of, of Lambrusco the the perception probably in the mind more of people in the wine trade than in, than, than consumers um, how can you get people to drink more Lambrusco or appreciate Lambrusco I should say so um, I believe uh, in the past uh 20 years, there has been a movement uh, for the uh, requalification of this wine. In particular, as Criarli producers, we believe to, to have been one of the examples of this uh, renaissance of Lambrusco. In 2008, we started getting the Trabicchieri from Gambero Rosso for the first time in the history of Lambrusco. That's the Three year, Glasses Award, which three is glasses, a yes. much coveted thing in Italy. Uh, last year, we were awarded um, in the top 100 wines of Wine Spectator for 2018. Again, very historical for uh, in the history of Lambrusco. And I believe uh, these sort of achievements gained by us, but also from uh, other colleagues, it is the way to, to bring back the image of Lambrusco in, in terms of the trade for consumers. This is up to the trade to sort of convey our work and our efforts to consumers. We see that there is a growing interest in uh, this high quality type of Lambrusco 
Lambrusco in specific markets such as the US, Japan, the northern part of Europe, but we see that there is still out there a less good Lambrusco that uh, um, is being uh, offered to consumers nowadays. But we also believe that this is a world that is going to end uh, uh, in the future, no matter, no matter uh, how much uh, some, some, some other producers. But we, we believe there's going to be a bright future for this uh, Lambrusco, but for the other Lambrusco, there's not going to be any future. Okay, the really okay. You mean a slightly more sophisticated style yeah. of Lambrusco? I think it's a great. I mean, I'm a big. I've always been a big fan of Lambrusco, and people really don't believe me when I say that. And if you live in Italy and spend a lot of time in Italy, which I do, and you get a lot of, you get given a lot of rich food uh, often, and often you are eating when it when it's either been hot or is about to be hot or very very warm, and you want something that's refreshing uh, and digestible, cuts through that fattiness of the food, um, and doesn't make you fall over or, or fall asleep. It's an absolutely stupendous wine. Uh, obviously, it has various variations, but as a category, it's it's a it's a wine I've always really liked. Honestly, people don't believe in this. How could you, you know, wine expert, Mr. Sophisticated, blah blah, go for Lambrusco? And I say because it's a great wine. It is, and you know, we're and, going uh, to to convince these people about yeah, the, I don't know the, if it's about the greatness yeah, of Lambrusco. Yeah, I think and, trying to convince people of anything is always, it can be really really hard. I think I think you just it's easy for me to say be patient because you have a company to run and you've got to make ends meet at the end of the month. But I think some. Sometimes maybe when things are forced down people's throat, they don't really appreciate them. It's just, I guess, getting more people to the region and trying these wines with the local food um, so that they can say, actually, you know what, this, this is a pairing that works really, really well. The alcohol levels are, are, are very moderate. Yeah. You know, we look at some red wines now, 15, 16 alcohol. Yeah, Lambrusco fits those worldwide trends mm. at the moment. People are drinking more sparkling. Yeah. They're drinking less wine with the, with the less alcoholic content. Their, their drinks no drier, oak. and we have a very good dry Lambrusco portfolio in the area so I believe we fit the criteria of uh, at the moment and uh, of the future so it's funny you're dressed like I mean if you walked if I, if you walked in now well you have just walked in anyway and so and Monty says right guess you're occupied I say you're an insurance salesman or something you, you know you got the tie <laughs> and all the rest of it and I think I think maybe also you know, he sells Lambrusco I'll be like no he doesn't sell Lambrusco he's, 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 he's straight for that you know, he's, but um, I suppose that's why I, I don't know why I've said that but uh, I'm not saying that you should dress up we've got to be coherent yeah yeah we sell it good yeah. high quality Lambrusco yeah. anyway I want to say thanks to my guest today Tommaso Chiali thanks uh, a lot Monty from uh, Cleto Chiali uh, it's been uh, lovely to hear you describe your wines and uh, actually the terroir that they come from because people don't often, often associate Lambrusco with any kind of terroir they think it all just comes out of one big tank which is not the case and I wish you and your family every success and say hi to your dad for me thanks a lot I will he, gave me very, he almost gave me indigestion because he made me laugh so much during a dinner cause he's got some great stories to tell he's a very funny guy and I, you've got a cheeky smile as well so I can see where you get it from <laughs> so obviously there's a genetic thing going on but uh, um, very nice to meet you Tomás I wish you were very enthusiastic well, a very enthusiastic chap and uh, wish you every success you deserve thanks a lot this podcast has been brought to you by Native Grape Odyssey discovering the true essence of high quality wine from Europe find out more on nativegrapeodyssey.eu enjoy it's from Europe follow Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook and Instagram 